Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Everybody, welcome to the What Culture Gaming Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Taylor, joined by Benjamin Richardson. Hello. I'm Josh Brown. Hello. And we're going to talk about all things indie games. Now, we've been talking about this in the office for a while because indie games are just, just blooming lovely, aren't they? To pretty be honest. Decent, aren't they? They're yeah, pretty they're good. The, um, the best, I think. They are kind of the best. I generally agree. So <laughs> I thought we would um, initially just start out with what sort of stuff we're playing at the minute because uh, you were on Yoko's Island Express. Yes. Um, Yoko's Island Express, the last indie game I finished. Mm-hmm. If anyone hasn't played it, First of all, do play it. As you say, we're all rushing to... <laughs> do my best to explain it. The best way to put it is a cross between Sonic Spinball and Ori in the Blind Forest. Good. And if that doesn't automatically sound unbelievable, what's wrong with you? <laughs> I mean, it's... it's The synopsis of the story is that you play as a little ant. It's lovely that arrived line. on um, an island, as in the tale, mm-hmm. and he's been designated as new postmaster and basically he has to deliver letters. But he has to do it... <laughs> As a pinball, effectively. You wonder why the so, indie game scene hasn't caught on, to be honest. Yeah. Go on. AAA games, you're like, you're yep. a space marine, you're going to save the world. <laughs> indie game, you're an ant. And delivering letters as delivering, a pinball. Yeah. Is that, that right? with that. Well, it's actually the... He pushes a ball of letters around with him right. like a dung beetle. Brilliant. But it's not Good. dung, it's mail. <laughs> <laughs> that's but the quote that you have the back of the box. Some people do deliver that. Very well. <laughs> it's not dung, it's mail. Yeah. But fair. Josh, you could say, do you have any indie games you're currently playing through? Not currently, because I've been playing Resident Evil 1 Remake and then Resident Evil 1 and then all the other Resident Evil games. Before then, though, Why? it was mostly... Because I just like Resident Evil. I'm in the mood, right? Weird. I'm ignoring all these games. But uh, before then, it was Celeste and then a little game called Undertale, which yes. I finally got around well, to playing. Since, since Josh hasn't been playing indie games recently I'll add a couple of mine I mentioned Undertale I've been playing a game called uh, Zero Ranger which is a shoot 'em up but it's very much the Undertale of the bullet hell genre Okay, it's extremely tongue in cheek it's self referential it um, references a lot of historical games and not just shoot 'em up saver Mm -hmm. it's absolutely it looks divine it's all pixel art Fully recommend anyone give it a go. Mm-hmm. Sounds delicious. I'm gonna I'm gonna walk back a, a little thing because I should have outlined at the beginning that oh, the reason sorry, it's about oranges. <laughs> I, I love oranges, but the reason that we're talking about indies at, at this point in time is mainly because you look at the complete flaming tire fire that is something like Anthem, um, or the general sort of approach to games as a service, the way that they're sort of being talked about at the minute in the industry, and something that's been we've talked about for so long. And anyone who sort of plays a lot of games knows that the most innovative ideas or you know things that point to the future of the industry are inherently in indie games. They're inherently in something where you know risks can can be taken or you know there's more artistic flourish more creativity or whatever so it's kind of just we're going to pick it apart 
but it's just that idea that, you know, the reason that you love video games, um, that reason is more inherent to the indie market than mm. something that's in the AAA space, for the, for the most part. Because I still love God of War Spidey, Red Dead, whatever, but I also love Hotline Miami and Downwell and Celeste and, and all those sorts of things. So I guess it's kind of passing out um, a lot of the stigma around indie gaming, because I think a lot of people still think that it's, oh, it's all pixel platforming. Um, do you guys find that there is still a, a lean into those kind of genres or I over time it's changed? the stigmata on the hands of indie gaming has gradually began to fade. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of people who have become extremely fatigued with the regular AAA offerings all being the same, the price of them in particular as well, mm -hmm. and the expectations of them, the fact that you're like you don't simply don't have enough time to play mm -hmm. every game. I think last month was four came out around about the same time. All yeah, the on the same hours. day, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, <laughs> and for a population, uh, people who got into gaming ten years ago, you know, they're not getting younger, mm -hmm. and your responsibilities grow. So I can understand entirely why they'd be drawn to indie gaming. Mm -hmm. I mean, in terms of like mechanics as well, like, you know, you can sort of, you can draw like something like, um, I can't think what the, there's a name of a game, which escapes me, but it's, it plays like Doom and, uh, and it's, I think it's like Devil's Cross or something. And you're, you know, it's, it's very much focused on that arena style combat thing where you're taking out a whole bunch of enemies or something like Downwell is like a platformer, quote unquote, but you play down the screen, yeah. you're sort of like yeah. jumping down as you're shooting stuff. And like a lot of those things, you know, the reason that you love games that like, yes, you can tie on a great story or a great set of characters or whatever, but you, you need those immaculate mechanics. And I think that a lot of indie games focus primarily on the game gameplay more than the the blockbuster sort of feel he has this yeah. you know great campaign or whatever I, so, think, yeah. I think that's why there's kind of like a, a certain stigma around it because as a young rapscallion <laughs> during my uni days and my college days when I had no disposable income it mm -hmm. was never sort of viable for me to purchase one of these smaller experiences that w is much cheaper than the average AAA title mm -hmm. but when you buy into a AAA title you have like an expectation of like you were saying <laughs> Was a question of value? Yes, it's mm. a question of value. When, when I, at least for me, when I was younger, I was thinking, well, I could drop 15, 20 quid on this sort right. of smaller experience and probably have a great time, but, you know, I'm going to be done with it in a few hours' time. So mm. I think that's kind of like the antithesis of what you were saying there, Ben. Like, now, when I don't have all the time in the world, I don't want these 50-hour, like, anthemist yeah. titles that I have to live on, and I want the other experiences, but I can sort of see why you might be averse to that if you're kind of like on the flip side. I think of that one point. of the reasons that the um, that the, the length thing is such a big deal is that like obviously they can monetize it, games as a service and all that kind of stuff. Um, but that goes hand in hand with developer budgets and the idea that, you know, they need recurrent spending methods to recoup these like ridiculous, you know, stratospherically high um, development costs. And um, whereas on the indie side, it's it's balanced a hell of a lot better, or at least the assumption is that they know what they're doing a little bit. Well, no, they know what they're doing a bit more, but they balance those things a bit better. They, they have more attainable goals, let's the say. scope is a lot smaller. Yeah. And the, as you said, development teams tend to be a lot smaller. It's, indie games aren't cheap to produce by any stretch of imagination, mm. but it's a lot easier to plan um, when a game's content isn't going to get out of hand and when mm -hmm. it doesn't need to be infinite. You yeah. can know in advance at the very start what we need to do, how long it'll take, mm -hmm. and you can set a proper like a roadmap as we use. Yes, as we say now. <laughs> well, now that that whole the whole roadmap thing is like even launch is kind of like your early access starting point now in the AAA space, or at least it is if you take Anthem as an example. Um, you know, and you're going to be plugging content into that going forward. I don't, I don't think that's that um, been received that well. I don't think people, no one was asking for that. No, I completely and, agree. You know, um, people aren't asking for it, but they are being given it. Yeah, <laughs> which is another reason why they might gradually migrate to indies mm -hmm. 
Well, I mean, I, I just think that, like, you know, the reason that we talk about games, the things, the reason, the thing that you got into it, there's all that sort of skill level, there's the, the arcade mentality, there's the whole, like, prove yourself, prove your gamer worth, and all that kind of stuff. And that's kind of waxed and waned as, like, stories have come in and been, become more of the focus. But, like, like I said, like, you know, if I'm going to pick something up and have a couple of games on something, um, it tends to be more indie focused. A lot of the story based stuff, I'll get through it and it's pretty much done. Um, whereas, like, something like Hotline, I'm going back to all the time, or, like, Rocket League or whatever. That's but, a fascinating take because go on. I'm, like, kind of on the other side of that. I love, like, the mechanical focus of indie games but mm -hmm. some of the most resonant stories that I've played through like last year was Celeste and stuff yes. I think indie games have the space to deliver kind of like a really sort of emotionally driven um, story that can like take risks mm -hmm. or give you or deliver it in, in at least a way that the AAA space doesn't like they can use the form of actual video games mm -hmm. to tell a story in a unique way and that's kind of that's been the big appeal to me for indie games like I love Hotline Miami of course yes. but uh, to me that doesn't have the same sort of staying power or something like and I might get a lot of crap for this but like gone home or uh, no, definitely. you know games like that I was going to talk about that because I had a note down here of like remember the whole the, the resurgence of the conversation around whether video games are art that sort of came to like it's zenith in like 2011 through like 2013 um, because games got inducted into the um, the Smithsonian Museum I think it was mm. um, and so the conversation kind of came up and that was when Roger, uh, Roger Ebert did his whole piece on games can never be art because the, um, the experience is authored by the player therefore you take it away from the creator completely missed the point because games are coded therefore it's authorship on behalf of the developer whatever wrote 20,000 words for it from a dissertation <laughs> and so I think like that whole conversation though that kind of advanced the medium in a way um, that brought up smaller experiences like Limbo or uh, Braid or there was even like Super Meat Boy there was that sort of elevation of like smaller titles to say like oh well they're more arty they're more sort of art focused yeah. um, whereas the, the bigger games went down the more pronouncedly like you know easy access route in, in terms of stories and stuff but I do think coming out of that that the indie space is where more risky storytelling gets done yes. Gone Home is a perfect That's example it's a, it's a parallel Mm -hmm. to the dichotomy in cinema mm -hmm. between mainstream cinema, blockbusters, and art house cinema, mm -hmm. where you, directors are prepared to take risks because they have ambition beyond profits. Yeah. It's definitely <laughs> a thing mm -hmm. that happens in the indie scene. Well, that's, I mentioned that in the uh, the whole the reason that corporate gaming is a poison um, is that you know the people at the top of the the piles, in the, especially in the third party space, where they don't have to worry about console life cycles and respectable libraries over time, they can cash in and get out. Um, and I think that you're seeing that. I, I said that in that in that video that I think they're in the the industry for the wrong reasons. Well, we're talking about investors and publishers. Yes, and shareholders. Not the actual people. Uh, charged with actually developing the No, that's yes. my point. I'm, I'm yeah. only talking about the people at the yeah. very top making the, the, the number-crunching decisions, not the artistic yeah. talent on the bottom, um, which, if you do, if you go down the indie scene, you can invert that. Um, you know, like something like um, um, oh, Dead Cells um, has, like, a more, like, socialistic approach to the way that they even share their funds on the development side, the way that they uh, pay their wages and stuff. Like, all that is completely inverted on the indie that's scene. That's what's kind of blown my mind recently. I, mm. I don't even know why I didn't think of it before, but there was a great, uh, a few months ago before the Destiny stuff and all the Activision stuff. There was a great piece by Jason Schreier on mm. Kotaku who, who like kind of sort of went into those business decisions and like the approach behind them. And it was that you, you at least I assumed before then that the more successful a game was or a franchise was or a studio was, the more freedom they'd get to sort of you know you know flex their mm -hmm. muscles and sort of do what they want because they're bringing in all this money. But then like no, that just funnels them even more down to <laughs> a specific route because a bar has been set. They need yeah. to keep that level of success going, which means more focus testing, which means more sort of like priming into as many people as possible. Even then, though, I mean, um, you know, you have like Naughty Dog or Rockstar or CD Projekt Red. Like they, I mean, they they still prioritize the we're gonna do, we're gonna do whatever we want yeah. kind of thing. And Naughty Dog seem to have that sway with Sony, where they're just sort of like we want to do like The Last of Us, we want to do something different, we want to do a new IP, and like Rockstar do as well. Well, I'd say with the big difference with Naughty Dog and their relationship with Sony mm. is that Sony's 
um, primary focus is selling consoles, yes. not software. Mm-hmm. So if mm-hmm. they're prepared to have a studio create unique titles, uh, exclusive titles mm-hmm. that they can sell a console on the basis of, and then no, even if it is a loss leader, that's fine. That's mm-hmm. sort yeah. of the point. That, well, that was something that like, Sony kind of brought back like a lot this generation, and uh, it wasn't Shuhi Yoshida, uh, I forget the name of the dude, um, that was speaking about the future of PlayStation and just said, look, they're completely invested in making, um, didn't call it, didn't exactly say single-player experiences, but it was something about invested in continuing worthwhile experiences that we've seen this generation. Um, and, you know, and that points to stuff like um, Spider-Man or like Days Gone, these mm-hmm. like, Ghost of Tsushima games that are entirely, uh, or at least marketed as single-player experiences. I don't think there are any multiplayer modes in them. And so it's like... They're one of the only first-party, you know, uh, companies with these million-dollar budgets mm-hmm. or whatever. Well, not millions, but a lot. Um, getting put into single-player stories, um, whereas the other companies aren't necessarily well, doing as much. Nintendo, is the other Te- yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Like, like you said, they're all sort of like platform holders Again, and they're Nintendo, trying to sell. The yeah, hardware manufacturer. It's the model that they're used being used to for since the early days of Famicom. Mm-hmm. Is that the whole point? Is that you create software to sell the hardware? Mm-hmm. Which, that's not something a company like EA has to be concerned about whatsoever. True. I want to ask you a really weird question um, based out of the fact that, because you have all these like clashing mentalities uh, in terms of you know storytelling focus or gameplay focus or character focus or levels and genres and all that kind of stuff. Um, why do you guys play games? Like, oh. I know it's, it's, it's meant to be vague as hell, but like it's that thing. It's like, what are you really taking away from it? Because like one of the statistics that uh, came out the last few years is that like 90% of people don't finish games um, and like that assumes that they don't see full stories but so the, the takeaway would be well they enjoyed the mechanics as they were and people sink hundreds of hours into Destiny's online mode so they want you know they want bankable mechanics and I think that's the mentality that's been taken and ran with on the third party side um, but what do you guys think in terms of like is it a bit of everything oddly enough or, you know? I was thinking about this the other night right. I was thinking about the difference between movies and games and I, I put so as much we do, time as we massive do massive exactly. yeah. I put a, I was thinking about this in the shower of all <laughs> so I was thinking about sitting oh, down with you <laughs> Of <laughs> all the time I put into video games, and I was sort of had a bit of an existential crisis, and was like, "Why? You know what I mean? Why? Why? Why am I so invested in it? Just yeah. pulling my interests apart." Bioshock. And I think, I, obviously, I'm here for everything. I'm here for the stories. I, my favorite game, games of all time, are story driven. And mm. yet, I think the amount of hours I put into games are mostly based on sort of gameplay loops. Like mm-hmm. I've been playing through Resident Evil One and Resident Evil One Remake, like I said at the weekend. Insane. And that's not necessarily because of the story, because yeah. that game has such a great loop of item management and sort of assessing your resources and trying to make it from one end of the mansion to the other with as uh, few um, things <coughs> in the inventory as possible so you can get the quest items mm-hmm. and then avoiding enemies and thinking about where they are in relation to you and like that is such a stimulating sort of experience for me and that's I think that's kind of where I'm at like mm-hmm. I, I, I didn't even realize until this weekend that I was so mechanically focused but right. I suppose that's the same itch kind of indie games sort of um, scratch like I think mm-hmm. indie games love their form and they love being video games whereas when you go into the triple A space or something it is the or at least there was maybe we're moving away from it now but there mm. was a distinction between storytelling and gameplay they were very separate yeah. kind of elements that didn't necessarily inform each other like it didn't really matter how you played the game the story would still be told the same and that brings up a lot of conversation about well, it goes into stuff, all the marketing stuff too like yeah. you know they want to rival Hollywood they want to have their big over the top video game trailers like you never see a big over the top indie game trailer or at least if you do I, I can't think of one off the top of my head well the, right. market, the marketing budget tends to be a fraction of yeah the exactly yes, because, because you know they know they usually know about the best way for their games to sell is word of mouth mm-hmm. and ground yeah. 
like around twelve support. It's a completely different audience to mm-hmm. in, so I don't really need it. Well, yeah, and it's like yeah, and then and because of that, you know, it's literally it's the same reason. And, and again, it goes into the growing up playing games where you just go, oh man, if you played this thing, I recommend this level. God, you got to see this thing. It plays like X Y Z. Like you know, the, there's more innovation on the base mechanical side on the indie side, and they know that it'll be recommendable, you know, in smaller circles. But it's more worthwhile. Well, when you ask a questionnaire about why mm. we play games, and I was thinking about this in the bath. <laughs> <laughs> Stood up in the bath, and I was sat down Stood in the shower. The Brilliant. Yeah, thinking, yeah. I thought about right, it in I'm the car. I'm doing this right, but anyway, <laughs> as I was trying to wrap my head around that, I was thinking, when did I start playing games? Mm-hmm. And I must have been. It was very, very young age. I must have must have been about three or four years old. Mm-hmm. And a Commodore sixty four. Right. Because I'm ancient. One hundred and ten. I think my favourite game was one called Split Personality, okay. where it was effectively portraits of uh, political figures at the time, like right. Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan. I don't know any Hip people. Hop. This is so Bendis. This is I know this is the Benjamin. most Benjamin thing ever. But yeah, and, uh, there were like tiles that you had to ar- arrange interfaces, and um, and you were a kid. I was a kid. Yeah. Brilliant. There was no real political content right. that I could tell. I mean, there might have been, but it was it went over my head anyway. Uh-huh. And. I guess playing games is just something I did from that point. Right. Because it's it's a toy when mm-hmm. you're three years old. You don't think about it any deeper than that. Sure. But as time goes on, it's it's already become part of who you are. You, you play games, you look forward to the next game. Mm-hmm. You're following the industry as you're growing up. You're seeing where it's going, so you're automatically interested without there necessarily being an, an actual... like as, as You know, you had a proper reason why, but for mm. me, it was just... That's just what I do. Right, yeah. yeah. So what I was looking... I was always looking forward to what the next innovation would be or the next new genre would be or the next great mechanic. And I think over the past five or six years, that's vanished from mm-hmm. the AAA scene for me, where now I feel like every AAA game... Plays the same. ...has to play the same, mm-hmm. almost. Like, you mentioned how much indie games, um, like, revel in their own mechanical... I think they can afford to try more stuff, yeah. I always find it's very unusual if you pick up a AAA game now how... There's almost like a standard control scheme. Yes. A standard way of it handling and any deviations is considered a flaw. Yeah. And that's one of the things I really enjoy about independent games is to play something that feels different mm-hmm. and unique. And well, original. even, I mean, something like Brothers, like, um, I mean, I know it was published by EA, but the mentality behind it is definitely indie. Yeah. But, like, the way you play that, it's like one controller per analog stick. And it's, it's, Nothing else plays like that. It's quite sort of um, difficult at first to yeah. get used to it, but, but once you do... Mm-hmm. You really enjoy it, and you come away thinking, "I've not played anything like that." Yeah, which I think is really, really important. And also, I might mention <laughs> on Brothers, one of the few games that has brought me to tears. I don't nice. have many emotions, but <laughs> <laughs> that's despite not a single word of dialogue being yes. spoken mm-hmm. throughout it. And it's and that's really massively helped by the fact that it's only six hours long. Yes, you know, it doesn't yeah. outstay its welcome. It tells the story it wants to, and it gets in and gets out. Mm-hmm. You like, I'm sort of. You said something there, Ben, about you just played games because that's what you did. I was sort of at that point again back in uni, maybe early, no, it was probably early college where I was just going through the same existential crisis and I was like, I just play games and I, I know I enjoy them. Point. I was still in the shower because I never left. It, it, no, I know I don't look like I actually get a shower, but I promise you I actually do. <laughs> yeah, so it was, I was I was thinking, I just play games because I, I, I just play games. I don't know why, I don't really know right. what I get from it. And that's when I started like watching YouTube sort of like breakdowns and critical analysis of it. And it was actually uh, Super Bunny Hop. Mm. Like, that was the first Shut proper critical analysis um, channel that I jumped into and I was like oh my god games can be viewed as this like as like a proper art form yep. and it, it has like the mechanics mean something they can um, like you know they act as a conduit for themes and messaging the and form stories of storytelling. yeah it's a yeah. form of storytelling and that sort of opened me up but now I think we're at a point in the AAA space like you said because everything sort of even if it's not the exact same you have like the basic control scheme even that sort of is, is an, um, a homogeneity I think I said that right <laughs> yes there that sort of 
pushes back against that sort of like just analysis of on, themes on the and totally mechanics. When, when you discovered that games could be a window to something much greater than just just you know yeah just terrorists just Pac-Man yeah. just whatever that's actually because I've seen old and you guys mentioned them that's what I was waiting for that to become mm. a part of gaming mm -hmm. I, like I was growing up with the industry and I was really looking forward to mm -hmm. games becoming art yeah to see, to see them deliver stories that only the gaming medium could deliver mm -hmm. you know something unique something that movies couldn't do at the time I remember at the time games were trying to be movies and gradually that started to happen mm -hmm. And then that's fell away again, as you said. It's well, I mean, try to be big. I really want to talk about that thing about like you know, like the the industry used to chase innovation in, in the AAA space, like you know. And I remember the first time I saw the PS2's graphics, like I saw Tekken Tag Tournament, and it was always this graphical focus. And it's like, uh, and we sort of like you know, chase control schemes. Like it was after Call of Duty that everything became homog homogenized, and every first-person shooter has the con uh, Call of Duty control scheme, at least in terms of you're aiming with the left trigger and shooting with the right trigger. If something asked you to shoot with X now, you'd feel really weird. So, yeah, um, or zoom in with the right stick or whatever. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Before we go any further, I want to talk to you about today's sponsor, Masterclass. With the amount of time we spend discussing and analyzing video games on this channel, it's always good to understand exactly how these experiences are put together. And fortunately for me, I can do just that with Masterclass. With Masterclass's streaming service, you can learn from the best to become your best, studying and growing with over 200 plus of the world's leading instructors. For me, I've been having a blast using a class on video game design by The Sims creator Will Wright to find out exactly how game mechanics are designed around player psychology as well as learning how important playtesting is to shipping the titles that you and I both love. But it hasn't stopped there, as I've also been brushing up on my practical filmmaking skills directly from my favourite movie director Martin Scorsese, as well as trying to get back in the cooking game with Roy Choi's amazing course on intuitive cooking. Seriously, my kitchen is a mess, but my belly has never been more grateful. For just $10 a month, an annual membership with Masterclass gets you unlimited access to courses on your phone, computer, smart TV, or even via audio-only modes. Even better, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, and 88% of members feel that the service has made a positive impact on their lives. And to put the cherry on top of that cake, right now, What Culture Gaming listeners get an additional 15% off any annual membership at masterclass.com forward slash gaming. That's 15% off at masterclass.com slash gaming. What's that? You want it one more time? Well, that's the URL masterclass.com forward slash gaming. Right, now I'm going to watch Tony Hawk try to teach me how to ollie properly. 
I'll see you all soon. You might recall um, when The Last Guardian mm. came out. Mm-hmm. I remember we were discussing it at the time how mm-hmm. we both thought the control scheme was b- peculiar. Yeah. You had to jump with the triangle button, I believe. But I, I remember, though, like, it sounds like I'm 100. <laughs> I remember, uh, even in the 2000s, every game had a different control scheme. That's right. And well, it was I've, like I've, getting used to a new thing. I've spoke before about the the, the the footprints that the games leave behind, the, the, the manual identity. Mm-hmm. So if you if you play a Resident Evil or Resident Evil 2 on the PlayStation, mm. that has those tank-like controls, but you know you're playing Resident Evil. Yeah. Like you, could, you could completely change the landscape and keep those controls, and it feels like Resident Evil. Mm-hmm. Likewise, you, um, you could substitute that with Tomb Raider. Mm-hmm. With that's, it's, it's very... Um, specific way of moving, you know, you have to get to the edge of a block and one step back mm-hmm. and all that. And no other games like that. That's entirely Tomb Raider. Yeah. Oh, the, for, for the first ones, yeah. And especially in terms of the way that you were exploring. And like that, I mean, that's a very specific Tomb Raider point, but I love about the old ones that if you, when you finally climb up some massive chasm thing, because you're fighting the controls, quote unquote, to get there, when you finally make that final leap for the final handhold, um, you do feel like you've accomplished something. And I think that that's something that the new Tomb Raiders have lost. And um, that's a wider conversation. But those like individual control schemes did play into their games, like Resident yeah. Evil's control schemes. You really feel like, oh my God, I'm getting chased by this thing. And can I get out? And you're like fumbling and, you know, you're about to get attacked by some unseen enemy or whatever and like they there was a way intentionally or otherwise that those things were connected back then that they've kind of lost when all the control schemes kind of blur together um but though like yeah that overall thing where like the reason that we play games or it's part of it is uh, is like in the innovation is seeing where the industry is going to go like maybe this is where the industry ends up because it's like reading i mean watching the looking at the graphics for devil may cry 5 mm-hmm. absolutely stunning and i watch digital foundry side by side yeah and i have it on the ps4 pro no point get it <laughs> get it on the ps4 doesn't matter and um it looks exactly the same um, apart from literally because I've reviewed this so much literally there's one scene there's three seconds where the frame rate drops in the regular version <laughs> and it doesn't on the pro brilliant everything else is fine um, I was watching the you know this digital foundry thing and I was like why do we even need another console cycle like what are we what are we going to get what's the PS5 or the <sighs> Xbox whatever going to give us really see we've kind of butted heads on this before because yes. I know you, you're like in in this regard sort of like more champion of like mechanics and like yes. how games feel rather than how innovation innovation but I for me it was when I played Uncharted 4 Mm-hmm. And, like, the graphics and that was spectacular. But for me, I was sold on a next-gen of sort of prettier graphics and prettier right. visuals because of how emotions were conveyed through characters in that game. And I know you don't necessarily need it. I can cry at a text-based game. Totally. But when I got to a scene in that where Elena's, like, she has, like, a single tear coming down. i never seen, like, crying, like, right. done in such a convincing and authentic way. And I was just kind of blown away by mm-hmm. it because if we're going to go down that route and we're going to go more cinematic, then I like that we're getting closer in parity to sort was, of was there, uh, was animation. Was there desperate to find those little moms to justify the fact that you'd have to buy this brand new hardware. This is where Benji's well, opinion on AAA games comes in. This, <laughs> not, not in that case. There have been other cases like Scott's Devil May Cry 5 thing where I've had to really scrutinise the screen and sort of look for mm. differences or knock the black level up or try to fiddle around oh, with sense. But ugh. in that one case, it sort of caught me by surprise because I bought Uncharted 4 just for like the story because I knew I was going to like it. And then that was like an additive moment where I was convinced. Mm-hmm. In terms of hardware, I've had a PS4 for maybe three, four years now. Mm-hmm. And I've enjoyed plenty of games on it, but not a single one has ever left me feeling like this couldn't have existed on the PS3. Mm. Maybe in hmm. slightly scaled back form, 
I saw like at the beginning of the generation that was there was a lot of conversations around that. It was like, did we need this new console cycle? And certainly behind the scenes, a lot of devs didn't think so. A lot of devs thought the future of the industry was on PC, hence why no big games came out for the first couple of years. Um, but uh, that whole conversation, I thought that changed with The Witcher 3, just for the sheer size of it and the amount yeah. of stuff you can do in that game. Like, I, I know you can point to like the Elder Scrolls and stuff, but I, I remember looking at The Witcher 3 and being like, okay, we finally hit something that has a mark of quality across the board that, but for me, I would, didn't think you could do at all in the past gen, at least without drastically reducing but speaking, graphics. Speaking, yeah, speaking graphically. Yeah, I think it's strange because some games obviously go all out on, on the graphical side and something like Uncharted, like, you know, like you don't need the graphics to enjoy that game. Like it does, mm -hmm. it, the facial animation is obviously key to the emotional beats of the story. Um, but that's not always the case. Like, I, I don't know, there's some stuff that you could reduce the graphics down and it would just work the same. I think The Witcher, it's art direction, like it's graphic, it, it has a, the best mesh of art direction and graphical clout kind I of thing. I think the most emotional game I've ever played is Firewatch. Nice. Yes. And, and it's the opening text bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> at, at no point in that game do you see the face of either the protagonist or his. You do at the end. Proposed love interest. Well, I What's guess. What's the face draws I, you? I, I guess you do, but in the in the credit sequence. Just to I be mean, a nerd. That emotion mm. plays out over a radio. It's entirely yeah. voice. You don't need high fidelity graphics to deliver emotion. Well, some of the best, and, like, like. Give you another example. Uh, books. <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> but it's like well, some of the best um, indie games or some of the best storytelling and character work is is proving those points. Like Thomas was alone is a brilliant uh, platformer. Again, proves you can do an entire character with a little square. And didn't yeah. feel all more, in narration. More emotional attachment to basic geometry. Yeah. Anything in Anthem. Or any of yeah. You, if, no one, if you guys haven't played Thomas Was Alone, like it's literally, it's like the, the story of Thomas who's a little pixel and he meets up with different ones and there's a big tall long one who thinks he's too tall and he sticks out and he's all nervous and then there's a, there's a short little fat one who's worried about his weight and he can't jump very high and you get told all this, it's all through the narration, um, but you do start to identify and empathize with these weird little, like the, the pixels on screen, which sounds insane, but there's more heart there, there's more charm, there's more reason to replay it or play it in the first place than there is something as utter soulless as Anthem and so like that's my overall point yeah I, I, my only argument against this would be that um, when you get those great games like Thomas Was Alone or like mm. Firewatch especially the opening we, we can have that and we can also have the big flashy sort of cinematic oh, yeah, emotional you have, stories you telling as well yeah. I think it's balance is key going back to like the film comparison like when New Hollywood kicked off mm. and we everyone was moving away from blockbusters and was going like uh, director oriented cinema you got like a lot of those biting authored sort of like movies and that, that was great but when you have when that's all you have, then you crave the blockbusters again, you yeah. know what I mean? So I think you need like, that I, I balance. Think, I but think what you're saying is, is entirely true, and I feel like with cinema as well, is that mainstream cinema isn't really for me now. I'm not a fan of comic book movies. Um, I, I don't... The hell? I'm, Get out of bed. <laughs> it's, it's no criticism, I'm just not, yeah. they just don't appeal to me. But mm -hmm. um, it almost feels like they've entirely cornered the market of a cinema for a number of years now, and it's difficult for me to find movies I want to see. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and there isn't there is a lack of balance, and I think in gaming too there's a lack of balance mm -hmm. with AAA games. Like that's all you can find in the shops, mm -hmm. right? And unless you go looking for these other experiences, you don't get them. Because mm -hmm. I think for yeah, me, it's I, rare. I think it's a balance of both sides. Like I, I think that one of the most fascinating things about gaming is that it brings variety. Yeah, it brings variety everything is, in. It used to be the best thing about gaming. The mm -hmm. genres we used to have. Mm -hmm which seem to have gradually vanished. You know what? I True. was also thinking about the other day in the bath. I saw that Ed Boon... Uh, He's moved. Mortal Kombat. <laughs> Obviously, the uh, creative lead on Mortal Kombat yes. was on about, like, he put out a Twitter post or something saying, which... Um, fighting series would you like to see based on specific characters? Mm -hmm. And it was like superheroes, it was like Mortal Kombat, and it was like a bunch of other licensed people. And I just thought, 
when was the last time we got a fighting an game, game? An original yeah. fighting game with original characters. Like, that was like AAA. Like, it doesn't happen anymore. Like, hmm. you get ones based on Injustice, based on superheroes. It's like Rakuga kids on the N64. Wouldn't you? <laughs> sure, or Evil Zone. But just, yeah. Yeah, like stuff like that. Like, those genres that used to be so prolific and everywhere kind of been. Well, that okay. Down a that's little bit. the perfect way to wrap this up because, like, all those, all that experimentation, all that genre diversity, all like all of those, you know, the mechanical diversity, all that is in the indie scene. Mm. And you can go and find, like, you know, you can go find some Road Rash equivalent or whatever. You can go, like, you can dive into that. And there's so many genres in. I mean, it's such an umbrella term, the indie scene. But like, you know, with something like the Unreal Engine going free, like that elevated the overall bar of indie quality, I would say. And you can look to even something that's like a, a Hotline Miami adjacent thing, like a Hong Kong Massacre, mm. but the the physics in that game are full-on havoc physics. Like you know, there's it's a shooter with a it's, good sensibility. Um, I mentioned it on the last part. I was mm. mentioning Hat in Time. Yes, Hat in Time plays. Um, it's a little rough around the edges. I think I've said it out of time, but it's it plays very very similarly to Super Mario Sunshine or Banjo Kazooie, mm -hmm. which are AAA titles of their day and like the highest caliber. Mm -hmm. And this really it, it does come very very close to matching right. in terms of quality. Mm -hmm. And that was crowdfunded. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. it's, I think. What the indie game scene can do is, it, for people like me, mm -hmm. for people like you, can say, do you remember the games you enjoyed as a child? Well, they still exist, and here they are. But for people who have been weaned on today's games, mm -hmm. it opens their eyes to a whole new well, range I think, of possibilities. Yeah, I think it does do that for some... Like, Hat and Time is, is clearly targeting the old-school, late-90s, third-person platformer, 3D market, 3D platformer market. But you have all these really innovative, like, progressive titles, like Gone Home, or... I mean, I don't know, like, there's just... There's a... Like, Firewatch, there's there's a attempt to experiment with storytelling in the medium that is gone from the AAA space. Um, even though I would still point this, like, the odd thing, like God of War, like, being being able to dissect video game violence in a really genius way mm -hmm. but like you see you see a more consistent example of experimentation in the indie scene I think it's it's I just indies where I go when I want to see the future of the medium it's not AAA I think there's another really uh, great point to make about why I hope it'd be the future mm. and that's down to the um, the life of a developer right effectively it's the pressures on the job the stresses of the job being able to control your hours in a more reasonable manner, mm -hmm. expectations being a lot lower, security being a lot higher. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Basically, to allow developers to enjoy developing games again. True, yeah. Small teams, tightly knit teams, knowing you're going to be there from the start to finish, you know, safe and making mm -hmm. circumstances. I think that's really important. It's something that, obviously, you can't expect consumers to think about when they're buying the game, thinking, well, what's my money paying for? What is it yeah. worth it? Mm -hmm. But maybe it's something that uh, we as... A journalistic industry should be considering more and more. I think so. I mean, it's one of the important. things that came out alongside Red Dead Redemption 2 was like the all the work hours and then, you know, that obviously got drilled down to the actual facts of it, but one of the things that was a fact was that Rockstar don't include your name on the credits if you didn't finish development, even yeah. if you've been there for years. So that's one of the things that can be highlighted. Different conversation, but like, yeah, that idea of the people behind the project. Uh, I think gaming has so much more to do in highlighting the people behind the you work. You also notice that in the independent scene, the people behind the project, we know who they are. Mm. Um, I, it's not supposed to be a point of egoism, but be, because the teams are small, we can know who they are. Yeah, yeah. And they can be passion projects. Yeah, and it's like they tend to go hand. Like, you know, they're on Twitter. They're answering people's complaints. I mean, I remember when Eric Baroni first launched uh, Stardew Valley, and like people would tweet him and be like, "Oh, there's a bug. If you do X, Y, Z, it, it does something else." And he would be like, li he'd literally go, "Give me a minute. Uh, they fix it. Right, it's done." And then like, "Oh, there's a patch coming out soon." Like he was just so on it. Like you know, and what, you have that what, connection. What it means is that is that <laughs> the developer themselves is the matter for a human mm. being. You know, and they're there. 
considered mm -hmm. rather not just, than just being an expendable nameless yeah, not just being like a number. human resource. Mm -hmm. I mean, as much, for as much as like something, again, I'm going to keep using Anthem because I think that is the tipping point, but Casey Hudson uh, returned to uh, Bioware to work on Anthem um, and his name is hardly anywhere like associated with Anthem as much as it was with Mass Effect 3 and Mass Effect 2, well, the Mass Effect trilogy. Um, and it's like, it does point to this like irradiation or this eradication of like the people behind the work and just, just he has a brand, he has the yeah. statistics, like all that well, kind I mean, of stuff. Remember how cool and yet out of character it was for when Cory Barlog shipped God of War and yeah. then he was looking at the reviews and like he started breaking down like that human element is what a dude like, as well. completely absent from AAA games like you can barely even find like a director of a title like Hideo Kojima is like one of like the few examples of yeah. you know the guy like the R2 or whatever behind the titles but the, even that's not like a human element he's still sort of like deified as this totally. kind of like well that was why Corey's thing, thing yeah that's why Corey's thing was so great and it was so human like you still need those human connections yeah. I think that's part, part one of the reasons why we're so passionate about indie stuff and I think that way more people are um, I think that stigma of them all being pixel platformers has mm -hmm. gone away um, but I just think it's worth reiterating that like there's so much to be found in the overall indie scene which is as a definition just something that isn't the corporately designed industry scene um, that is so just worthwhile and, and worth picking out so I guess we should end on recommending one indie game each I don't know what yours is well I guess what yours Ooh. is is it a hat in time again <laughs> uh, no it isn't actually um, go on you can recommend one thing it depends on to what extent this class is as an indie game mm. and it's definitely not one that's under the radar so it almost feels like a waste of recommendation it better not be Journey it's not Journey <laughs> <laughs> Uh -huh. But it's something similar, similarly well known. It's The Witness. Oh, ah, this is yes. a beautiful, beautiful game. Um, now, when you talk about the people behind games, I'd say the most significant name in the game industry in the last 10 years probably is Jonathan Blow. Mm -hmm. um, his name is widely known, widely respected, mm -hmm. and this is very much his game. Yeah. It's his money. It's quite a lot of his money, too much of his money. Well, he almost funneled all of his money from Braid <laughs> yeah, into this next thing. I believe $8 million in the end. <laughs> Jesus. Possibly $6 million, but that's, that's non-standard for indie game true but it was definitely created with an indie mentality I was going to say the mentality yeah, there, was, yeah. there was no like outside resources helping with it but it's absolutely immaculate yeah. every single detail in the design is, is down to the exact pixel and it's um, that's not necessarily the mentality you get with AAA games but mm. it's Definitely the case. It's an absolute. It's it's a masterpiece. That game is entirely Jonathan Blow as well. Like yeah, if you if you watch interviews with him, like he's I think he's a Buddhist, but like he has like all these different mentalities, all these different philosophies on life that go into that game. I mean, The Witness, if you haven't played it, is third person exploration puzzle solving on an island. But it's all about cognition and information it's, and how we know. Also, if, if you what um, we know. if you were to summarize the the game, just in terms of mechanics. Mm draw lines on, on panels <laughs> yeah. on an island there's absolutely no chance that game would ever be developed for <laughs> the thing that it always annoys me with something like that is I, th I think there's a way to make any idea absolutely um, you know appealing and I just um, it's obviously not what they're chasing in terms of like you know that that game they're not going to do a big overblown trailer and you're one man on an island solving <laughs> puzzles but like and it's not that you make it appealing in that way but there's such a cool relatable core like reason for that game exists uh, to exist that everyone should check out what would yours be Josh? well I played these two games I'm, I'm going to because you mentioned one already so I played these Sweet two Lord. games in the same week right. uh, about three years ago and haven't stopped thinking about them since nice. if you've seen a list by me I'll have crammed these games into <laughs> at least half of them and that's Firewatch and um, Soma oh Soma are really great and like some of the best uh 
best told stories of the generation so yeah. far. Firewatch's intro, like text-based intro, absolutely ruined me. If you guys yeah. haven't played Firewatch, um, just check that out, not knowing what you're going into. Yeah. Um, and then Soma is one of the most atmospheric horror games yeah. like of all time. The ending of that left <laughs> And it, it's not perfect, because it tries to do, tries to appeal to a kind of mainstream crowd by mm. crowbarring in some horror elements, but now there's a patch where you can just turn it off and enjoy the story. So oh, just do cool. that and enjoy I'm going to go back to it and see what that feels like. Mm. Um, go I've on. I've just got another one to bring up. This is what this podcast was initially going to be. I was like, no, we should have a structure. But it's, go on. it's been a decade since I played it now. But it's Machinarium. Oh, man, okay. Um, I'm going to need to design a Czech studio developed by about seven people, six, mm-hmm. seven people. It's uh, it's a Flash-based point-and-click adventure. Unfortunately, it was Flash-based, which meant an awful lot of people pirated it. Mm-hmm. Um, I bought it twice to make up for all those people. But, um, I have six copies of Shovel Knight. Carry on. Yeah, it's basically just a point-and-click adventure, but... It's only about three hours long. It's immaculate designed, beautiful artwork, mm. absolutely gorgeous. Mm-hmm. No words, absolutely free of dialogue, and yet it tells its story perfectly from... That's lush. I, um, for my one, it's not going to be... Because Firewatch might have been one of mine too. I absolutely love Gone Home. I love the whole... Everyone calls it the walking simulator genre. Yeah. I, I, I'm, not, I'm a sucker for any of that stuff because it prioritizes storytelling and atmosphere. Um, but for mine, it would be something that I just got the other day, which was Hand of Fate 2. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys have played the first Hand of Fate, um, but literally, you're first person, you sit down, you're talking to a hooded guy, and he's like, we should play a card game. And uh, you, it's basically a uh, Arkham, Batman Arkham-style combat system, but the way that you progress through the story is choose your own adventure. So the guy that you're playing against, all very mysterious. Guy plays some cards on the table, you turn them over one by one, and whatever the card is dictates the combat scenario or dictates which weapon you're going to pick up, um, and you kind of move through it. That way you might turn a card over and it'll be a merchant, and then you can get more food and whatever, but it's all very incremental, um, and you're making decisions the whole way. And so whenever you get through that like initial playing of the cards, you unlock more cards, which changes the deck that you're playing with, but the deck you're playing with is the story. So, so it's right. like Pokemon Dragon card game. Yeah, I don't know, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's just really cool. Like You'll get... Um, you might unlock like it you'll get like a card at the end of a run and it'll be something like um you know like missing boy or like you know like um, yeah. the ancient sh- sword and so you put that in your deck and you play again and you know that somewhere in this next shuffle is this next random kind of story element but all the time you're you know making your character better and you're getting through it um and there's just such a great feeling to like playing an rpg in this like really unique different way it's the the structure of it is unlike anything else um, and it's really charming the guy that you talk to just like berates you because he's like oh you messed up there or I mean, you know like yeah it's just great and he, you know you so you're overcoming him as much as you're overcoming like the cards themselves yeah. um, and then the combat's like the combat's not brilliant but it's totally serviceable and it's uh-huh. nice there's some there's some finishes give me a combat system with more finishes is what I'm saying I want, I want some finishing moves who cares about combat I <laughs> care about the combat oh, but I think go I on thought of the, I actually, we haven't got time I had, Josh I'm so sorry but I have played an indie game recently yes. it was Detention play that as well that's oh that's it is that a VR thing no oh, it's you isn't it it's, it's gonna be a VR thing. thing it's 2D it's really good okay. I'm good now that's it <laughs> so that's hopefully enough for you to um, get on with but you guys can let us know what you think down in the comments if you would like a full on half hour thing where we just rattle through a bunch of indies <laughs> we're more than happy to do that so let us know what you think down if in the comments like, below like 30 minutes Exodium on Yakuza Island Express I'm willing to do that <laughs> yeah and I'll happily break down the entire lore of Shovel Knight even though no one wants that other than me and Yacht Club Games but yes let us know what you think down in the comments below or find us on social media if you're listening on the audio platforms this has been the What Culture Gaming Podcast. I've been your host, Scott Taylor, joined by Benjamin Richards. Goodbye. I'm Josh Brown. Goodbye. I'm catching next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.